Hey everybody, this is Stefan Gonick from singlesoulmate.me and this is our live monthly Q&A call. And I've got a mixture of uh, questions that have been emailed to me in advance and I've got people uh, with us live. So I'm really looking forward to answering everybody's questions. Um, and particularly, I'm really looking forward to talking to people who are live on the call with me um, because that way we can have really good dialogues. Uh, you know, I'm very happy to answer emailed in questions. The only issue is that you know, I, all I have is what was written, so I can't ask for any, I can't ask any questions to get you know, a little deeper into the issue. So I just, you know, do the best I can with what I'm given. But with, for those of you who are live in the call with me, we can actually talk back and forth and I can, we can explore a bit together and discuss it and, and I can give an even better answer. But I'm very happy to answer questions for people who couldn't make it live. So if you're on the call live and you would like to ask a question or make a comment, uh, you can click on the button if you're well if you're online click on the button to raise your hand and I'll call on you if you dialed in by phone I think it's press star 2 to uh, raise your hand and let me know and then I can call you or you can use the chat and just type in your chat message or question um, if it's late in the call and you're doing a chat question it's really good if you uh, just write the word question and submit it and then start typing your question so I know that you you got something coming. If you spend a couple of minutes typing the question, I may not realize that you're doing that. And and uh, and if it's like I say, it's toward the end, I may not get to it. So just let me know that you're making that you are in the process of writing a question by doing that. So anyway, usually people don't like to be the online people don't usually like to be the the ones to start with a question. So I'm going to go ahead and start with um, one of the email questions. Well, first of all, let me make sure you guys can hear me. Can everybody hear me? Uh, if you can, like, just type in the chat, like, yes, I can hear you. <laughs> Every once in a while, there's a problem with the audio, and I just want to make sure that it's okay right now. I um, should have mentioned that earlier. So if you can hear me, if somebody can type in the chat. Uh, uh -huh. Well, here, let me go ahead and call on you. Hi there, you're on with me. Hello. Hello. Yes, you're hi there. Okay. <laughs> I, I was confused. I didn't know if I was uh, if, if it was my turn to talk. I'm sorry. Yeah. No. It's uh, if you can. You. When I when I clicked on you know when I clicked to bring you on, did it say anything to you? No, it didn't say anything. It didn't say you are now muted. The last thing I heard was that. Uh, can someone type in a message in the in the message uh, area? Okay. Uh, so <clears throat> one person said, "How do we raise a hand on the phone?" It's I'm pretty sure you know I don't use the phone. I think it's it's either star two or star eight. Uh, try star two first, and if that doesn't work, then do star eight. And go ahead and do that now, just to try it out. So you don't have to wait until I'm done talking. Um, the person I'm talking to, I usually don't give people's names in case they don't want me to use their names. Um, okay, yep, that worked. Star two worked. All right. Um, so, uh, what's your question? My question is, uh, whenever I'm uh, in a social environment and I meet uh, men, not for dating, just men in general, um, not with 
not with the aim to date, but just to meet people. It's just like the gym or somewhere else, or you're going out or, or uh, you're having a drink somewhere. When mm -hmm. I talk to someone, uh -huh. uh, people, uh, men especially, uh, they immediately see me as a potential of having a, a lady friend, just a friend in general. And that they don't see me as someone they would like to date or they would like to uh, get to know better in a, diff in a romance way. And I would like to change that, but I don't know how. What what is going on with me that men only see that in me? So, I mean, I understand your so, question generally, but, but I'm a little confused by what you said at the beginning, because you said sometimes when you're going out socializing and you meet men, you're not you're not interested in dating them. And then at the same time, it sounds like no, you're I'm saying you are interested in dating them. I'm, I'm interested in dating them, but I'm not looking, uh, I'm not desperately looking to date. I'm just there to uh, ex explore and to meet men. Okay. Okay, so you're open to meeting somebody for, for dating, yeah. potentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, so yeah, um, that's a good attitude, actually, you know, to socialize from a place of openness. And, and you said, you know, you're not feeling desperate. That's really good. Because um, feeling desperate is, tends to be a turnoff to the other people. Um, so it, you know, it's a little tricky to know what's going on because you know, if I was there, if I could observe you for five minutes, I would know for sure. Um, so it's going to be tricky because it has to be from. Yeah, you, know, you can only tell me what's going on from your perspective. Um, all I can do is kind of try and give you a general, general ideas as to what might be going on. Because, mm -hmm. you know, there's this friends. You know, so what you're kind of describing is that you, you feel like you're being friend zoned, as we call it, right? That guys view you as a potential yes, friend, but not a romantic partner. Yeah. 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 So one of the ways that happens, and I actually have a video about that on YouTube, uh, about getting friend zoned, is that when we meet somebody... Uh, so I don't know if this is going on for you. So I'm just going to, this is a general thing, right? Yeah. One of the reasons why people can get friend zoned in general, actually, I can, actually I'm going to give you two reasons. So the, the most common one is that the person is uh, feeling a little insecure or, you know, kind of like one down so that they they can be a little a um, little bit of kind of lean, I call it leaning in too much, right? There's kind of like, what, what tends to be most attractive is a feeling of equals, right? So it's kind of like if, you know, if I'm, so I'll do it from my perspective, right? Back when I was single. So when I was single, if I would be talking to a woman who was acting in some way that she came across as feeling like she was less than me, you know, like one down or a little insecure or something like that, but she was otherwise nice and I liked her, then I would friend zone her. Um, okay. If she felt, what? Okay. Not intentionally, not intentionally, just that's, it was just yeah. my automatic reaction, right? Yeah. Because it, it, her energy was coming across as, as me being one up and her one down. Right, it, she didn't come across as an equal. She didn't come across as confident. Um, and when I say confident, I don't mean 
arrogant or super confident, just, you know, normal confident, right? So if, yes. if, she, if, we, if she feels like she's acting like she's my equal rather than, you know, insecure with me, then, you know, then I could be potentially romantically interested if, if there's other things that I was interested in about her, right? And it could just be that, you know, just for whatever reason, she wasn't my type or whatever, right? So it's, that can be a two. So that's so anyway, the most common one is that where you, you come across as a little insecure or one down. The other way uh, okay. it, it can happen is if you're putting out a vibe of I'm only interested in friendship. You know, like a sort of a protected energy, like, you know, I'm not it, so sometimes. Um, actually, I'm going to give you a great example uh, of a from a friend of mine from many, you know, Back way back in our twenties, I'm in my sixties now. This is like forty years ago, right? <coughs> and <clears throat> I'll never forget this because it was such a classic thing. Uh, and uh, I don't think she'll mind me telling anybody because she's no longer living, so uh, no privacy concerns. So here's what happened: we were we were both <laughs> at, in Berkeley, California, right? And she was a good friend of mine, so we were in Berkeley, California. Berkeley, California is, is like a mecca for interesting people, both men and women, you know, like really interesting people. And I remember we were walking down the street and she just all of a sudden announced, she goes, Stefan, there, there's no interesting men around here. And it's like my eyes bugged out. It's like, what? There's probably more interesting men around here than anywhere in the country. And <laughs> you know, it's my thought. So I said that to her and she goes, nah, you know, I look around, I don't see any interesting men at all. Um, mostly what, you know, mostly I, I just encounter men who are jerks, but I don't see really any really interesting men. And we talked about back and forth and she kind of stuck to her position and I was very confused by what she was saying, but you know, there, there it was. And then that very same Friday night, we went to a party together. So I decided to observe her during the party. And one of the things I noticed right away was that she was sending out subtle but obvious keep away from me vibes, like, you know, to men, like, just, you know, stay away from me. Now, the party had, I would say about half of the men there were really interesting and half the men, maybe not. But here's what I noticed happening. The interesting men picked up on her stay away from me vibe and they stayed away. And then the less sensitive, less interesting men ignored her keep away vibe because she was an attractive woman. And they would go over and try and talk to her and stuff and she would rebuff them. And at the end of the night, I said, so how was the party for you? And she goes, it's like she said, you know, I told you, there's no interesting men around. The only men I talked to all night long were jerks. <laughs> and I was thinking, and then I told her what I observed. I told her what I observed. It's like, well, you were sending out keep away vibes and all of the nice, interesting men were honoring what you were sending out. And the, the insensitive jerks were the ones who were ignoring your vibe and talking to you anyway. And there you go. <laughs> so it was like it was like an amazing <laughs> an amazing example of how we can unintentionally sabotage ourselves and create our reality, right? You always say you hear that phrase, you know, you create your own reality. Well, that was a perfect yeah. example of creating your own reality. So there is something you're doing that's causing men to automatically friend zone you. And so I've given you two possibilities. You know, if you're if yeah. you are sending out some sort of vibe of, I'm only interested in friendship. You know, I'm not interested in 
in, in anybody romantically. I'm not open to that. Even though there's another part of you that wants it. Obviously, you do want it because you're doing the program and everything. But there could be a part of you that doesn't want it, maybe still out of fear. Maybe there's some fear that you haven't addressed yet. You know, that can do it. Um, the more common one, though, I would say is the feeling one down. You know, if you talk, which happens a lot when we meet somebody we really like, you know, they think, wow, this person seems really fascinating. And then we go into that insecurity of, well, if he's so cool, you know, what would he see in me? And then we, we come across insecure. So that would be another one. Okay. Do you relate to any of that? Um, I think I can relate to, uh, yes, I think I can relate to both of them. Both of them. Okay. Well, there we go. Yes. Okay, good. So, um, so yeah, so good. I'm glad that was helpful. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and meet you again. <laughs> and feel free to ask another question uh, a little later. I just want to give more people a chance to ask questions. But uh, it, often yeah. the second half of the hour, things kind of quiet down. So feel free to ask another question. Okay, thank right. you. You're very welcome. All right, so I can go ahead and mute you. And now I'm going to unmute. Uh, oh, so the person who had her hand raised, I guess she took it back down again. So I don't know if you're actually wanting to talk or not, but if you do want to talk, feel free to raise your hand again. Ah, she raised her hand again. Okay, here we go. Hi there. Hi. Um, I have this question. When I'm tapping along to, uh, to one of your recordings, I have a hard time staying focused on that person's problem. I keep my mind keeps switching to my own parents, my own situation. Should I fight it or should I let it happen? Um, well, you you know you're tap you're still tapping along and repeating what the other person says and that kind of stuff. Yes, but I'm thinking about like oh that has how was it? It was with my father. It's similar but different. You know, I kind of coming back to my childhood situation. Yeah, that's okay. That's fine. As long as you just keep okay. tapping along. I mean, the classic version is you, you know, you relive your memory, you rate it zero to 10 and then you let it go and and focus on the other person. But especially if they're similar, um, I don't think that'd be too distracting. And so I'm guessing that should be fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And also like sometimes I want to listen in like, like, place with other people around so I would rather not tap but like just imaginary tap do imaginary tapping is it still effective or you really recommend to do actual tapping I would recommend you do fingertip tapping I have a video actually I have two videos on YouTube one is called uh, how to tap in public without looking crazy and the other one is called how to tap how to do EFT without tapping on your face I did that for the pandemic things because a lot of people want to do EFT, but they're afraid to touch their face. Um, in both cases, I teach the same technique of uh, tapping on your fingertips, which is easy to do in public without anybody noticing it. Because you just you can do it with one hand mm -hmm. on your, with your thumb on your on your fingers, and it's easy to hide that hand, and nobody would know that you're tapping. Right. Okay. But I think if you're trying to listen and and repeat and imagine tapping, I think that'd be too distracting. Like too many things trying to do at once. Okay, uh, but, but finger tapping and uh, just uh, not repeat, but repeat in my head is repeat in your head. Yeah, repeating your head is good mm -hmm. enough. I mean, doing it out loud is better, but it still works in your head. Um, tapping your, you know, tapping in all your points is better than just tapping your fingertip points. But again, <clears throat> it's still 
excuse me, it's still very helpful. And if you feel like, um, you know, tapping in public, you know, doing this process in public, then that'd be a great way to do it. Okay. Yeah. Also, um, I noticed there is a lot of ups and downs in how I feel. It seems like I'm better. I think, okay, I'm better, and then I have a down again. I don't know if it's still I'm making a progress or not. It's hard to tell. Is it like expected, or at some point it will be just always good? There are no downs. Well, life is full of ups and downs, so it'll, be, it'll never be the case there's no downs, right? Um, I think what you should start what you overall what you'll see as you as you really work through stuff is that you spend a higher percentage of the time up and a lower percentage of the time down, right? But you know, mm-hmm. it'd be wonderful if we were just up all the time and felt good all the time, but that's not super realistic. Um, the gaps between going down, you know, going having a down will spread out, right? It'll be less frequent. Um, but one of the things that can happen in, when you're in the middle, middle of the healing process, I've noticed this a lot working with one-on-one with clients, <clears throat> is that we'll start working on something and have a really good healing session, right? And right after the session, they feel really good. <clears throat> it might even last for a day or two, but then all of a sudden, um, they really plummet down. And what's usually going on when that happens is that when we successfully heal one thing, and we, we, you know, we all have a whole bunch of different things to heal, right? All these different parts of us. Um, once we have a successful healing of one thing, these other parts of us that want to be healed start raising their hand and they go, me next, me, me, me. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and they, and by going me next they're the, those feelings are coming up. Right. Uh, so in the beginning it can be quite a roller coaster, you know, with, from that kind of thing. So you heal something, you feel good for, for a little while. And then this other thing comes up. That's another thing to heal basically. And it can, and you can interpret it as feeling down. But if you notice that, oh, if you kind of check into what you're feeling and you notice that it seems to be related to some other thing from your childhood, then you go, oh, okay, this is just another part of me that wants to be healed, right? It's not okay. not really me going down per se. Um, but uh, over time, you should get better and better. Okay. And your baseline should be okay. higher eventually. Okay, yeah, that, that makes make sense. sense. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. All right, so I'm gonna go ahead and mute you. If you want to ask questions, you know, later in the hour, feel free to do so. Okay, um, so I'm gonna go ahead and do one of the email questions. You guys have been great so far already. Just jumping in uh, with your questions right off the bat. That's fantastic. So this person wrote. This is a woman, and she wrote, "I recently met someone after tapping on the negative traits of my parents. We have been dating since November." He lives one hour away. That made me think I need to tap more in having emotionally unavailable and even physically unavailable parents. Um, it helped me. It helped me. However, we both still are not ready to jump in and move in together, and we both are working to increase our abundance. My concern is he was raised by parents that were not emotionally available either, so he's not very affectionate, and I love affection. But, I'm, but I am really being specific here. I am really otherwise very grateful and satisfied. I think our love could be juicier, but when you see one once a week, it's different, like getting acquainted again. So I'm not sure what else to tap on. Do you have suggestions? Um, yeah, so first of all, the good news is that 
it seems like this person, whether or not he's your, the final one or not, that he's much closer to what you're looking for than men in the past. I'm just assuming that from what you're saying, because you're talking about um, you're otherwise very grateful and satisfied. So that's really good. Uh, and this happens a lot. So, the, the, you know, my one concern is is the lack of affection, and you love affection. So that might become a problem for you over time. So you, you have to really soul search on that one. Because the, you know, the desire for affection, both giving and receiving, is a pretty primal one. You know, there's certain kinds of things that are nice-to-haves and certain things that can be gotta-haves. So you might want to just kind of just really soul-search on that to see how important it is to you. Uh, you know, as we heal everything and we start having better and better partners, um, and let's assume you've healed everything enough that you're in phase three, Really, it's a what it becomes down to at that point is, you know, is this I had this really good partner, and is this partner is our you know do we match well enough to be life partners, right? This is already better than anything I've ever had before, but is this really as as good as I really really want, right? And those there's going to be some line for you uh, of what is good enough and what is you know less than good enough. And then we can get into a position, the very challenging situation is, is, is to walk away some, from something that's good or even very good in the hopes of finding something great. And I, I faced that myself with a relationship I was in for three and a half years. And I spent probably about nine months trying to answer that question with her. You know, because she and I loved each other. There's a lot of things that were really good. But there was one big thing that was missing for me. And I was trying to decide whether or not I can live with that. And finally, I decided no, and it was very scary to let her go because it was it was very good. Um, but you know, ultimately, I was very happy I did because now I'm married to my wife, who is great. So I went, I did, I held out for great, and I got great. So I don't know, um, you know, how important that is to you. Um, me personally, actually, affection is super important to me, and my wife and I are are matched in that area. Um, so tapping more. So anyways, you know, only you can know whether or not you're okay with not having the kind of affection you want. Um, though it seems like you said our love could be juicier, so I'm guessing the, the sexual connection may also not be quite what you're wanting. Um, it being juicier, that could be some remaining fears. So either that person's not, your, your partner's not only not very affectionate, but he may not be very sexual. So that'd be even bigger stuff to look at as to whether or not that's okay with you. Um, it could also be around fears. Because one, one way that we keep ourselves safe when we're scared is that we kind of pull back sexually. It's a way of subconsciously maintaining some distance when intimacy itself is, is scary. Um, and you know he grew up with emotionally unavailable parents too, so it's, it's likely that he has some fears around um, intimacy and closeness and things like that. So, and you may as well, right? So that you can kind of be, be both having that dance together of, you know, being, feeling good being together on the one hand, but feeling still feeling a little scared. One thing you can do with that is try and tune into what might be scary about getting more in. And I don't mean moving in together. I understand that that would be the next step, you know, to deal with this distance thing. But um, one hour is not that far apart. I mean, it's not ideal, obviously. Ideally, you'd be within a half hour of each other, but 
you know, one hour you you can still get together pretty easily. So I wouldn't be quick to move in with each other necessarily, unless you really really want to. Um, but try and when you're with him, try and imagine getting more intimate with him, uh, more emotionally intimate, stuff like that, and see what fears come up for you. Because all you can do is address your own side, right? So see if there's any fears that come up for you, and if so, you know, write them down and then tap on them. Uh, I find that you know when people do this work, the first big phase of it is to clear our our blocks well enough that we can attract and and get together with a really good partner. But I find that once that happens, once you've met a really good partner, you're you're in phase two, right? Because then there's there's going to be fears around being in the relationship, right? Before it was the fears of of a you know the fears and you know negative attraction pattern, all this stuff that's preventing you from being with a great partner. But once you find a great partner, lots of times that's the next round of healing that has to happen. I've had a lot of people where I helped them uh, you know, find a really great partner. And at first they were thrilled. And then later they came back and they go, Stefan, I need help. <laughs> you know, He's great or she's great, um, but we're having issues in our relationship and you know, we need to work through them. Uh, and that's really common. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the partner you found. It just means that you both come to the relationship with some unaddressed issues that come up in the context of a relationship. So sounds like you've got somebody much better than you've had before, and part of it could be um, any re, you know, remaining fears or triggers that you have just being in a good relationship. Um, you know, as well as the whole soul searching thing as to you know what is good enough versus not good enough. All right. Um, just want to remind everybody that for those of you online, if you are uh, you know want to talk, just raise your hand and I'll call on you or type in the chat. Now, one person, uh, the next question is actually somebody who's on, so I'm going to unmute her, and I'm going to start by reading your question, and then if I have a, then then we can dialogue about it. So I'm really glad you're here. So I'm going to unmute you now. It's funny. It used to be that when I unmuted somebody, it would they would actually get a little. Ah. <laughs> All right. Well, the person I tried to unmute just just left the call. Okay, maybe she didn't want to talk. All right. So I will go ahead and just read her question and uh, and then answer it uh, that way. Okay. So her question says, I have a question you could perhaps answer. In terms of my past relationships, in the main, I've attracted men who have still not been over their past partners, and then within three months of starting the relationship, they would suddenly end our relationship, uh, which made me feel unvalued and abandoned. Um, I am just wondering in this scenario, what are the negative patterns of my parents based on which I'm attracted to these partners? Would they be an unavailable parent, uh, abandonment and not being valued? Are these three separate negative patterns of my parents also if i'm struggling to find memories related to these patterns how would i tap to end these attraction patterns your notes mention that you need three or four memories slash experiences to tap on um yeah so somebody who's not over their ex is, is certainly would be in the category of unavailable partner um and 
and then it ends you know, then you end up with an abandonment thing um, and not being not being valued so the not being valued I would say is probably something that you felt you know in your relation in your uh, situation with your parents growing up so that's more of just a you know kind of how you feel uh, the pattern would be uh, unavailable and abandoning and or rejecting those kinds of things so what you want to do is look if I'm guessing you probably do have unavailable parents uh, let's see okay she's <laughs> she's back on I don't know if you want to talk or not I don't know if that was an accident that you left the call or if you'd like to talk a bit okay so if you don't want, so I, you know, sort of a coincidence, you you can't. It, it ended. So I've been kind of reading your question and answering your question. Um, I'm gonna unmute you again, but if you don't want to talk, just say, uh, you know, I don't want to talk, <laughs> and then I'll just mute you back again. So don't feel pressure to talk if you don't want to. But I'm gonna just unmute you long enough to just see. Do you would you like to talk about your question? Uh, yes, I would. Thank you. <laughs> okay, good. Um, Maybe somehow when I unmuted it, it, it booted you off the call. Okay, so anyway, I, I read your whole question. And mm -hmm. I, so what I was saying in my answer um, was that uh, it, the un, it's, it certainly sounds very much like an unavailable parent kind of scenario. Did, were your parents emotionally unavailable, either one of them? Uh, yes, and also my father was uh, physically unavailable because he worked a lot. So he was yeah. hardly ever at home. And then when he was around, he was he was unavailable. Yes, he was working even at home. Okay. And if you tried to get his attention, what would happen? Um, I, I wouldn't actually try to get his attention. There were, you know, our house was full. We had other people around, you know, household staff and things. So I never actually needed his attention. Funny thing, when I was younger, I I didn't seek it out, and I. Consequently, you know, I didn't even realize I had this problem with men because of uh, his unavailability because I was fine with it. But now when I look back and, and see, you know, the repeated pattern with the men, then I think, yeah, unavailable father. It must have been an issue that's impacted me now. Back then it didn't. Yeah, so it probably did back then, but you just weren't aware of it because, ah. see, well, here's what happens. All children. Um, have an intense need for the love and for love and attention from both parents, regardless of what the parent is like. Um, and you know, so if they don't get it, that is a big issue. Now, if a parent is consistently unavailable, they will eventually give up on it, right? They'll stop trying to get that parent's attention. They'll they'll stop thinking that they even want it. But the damage was already done. So you can, you know, when you were like three years old, four years old, you, you know, you probably, you know, very intensely wanted your father's love and attention. And then maybe by the time you were six or seven, it was so consistently unavailable to you, they just gave up. And then you even stopped, you, did, you know, don't stopped being aware of wanting it. And eventually you just kind of dismissed him. <laughs> I was like, well, forget it. he's never available. Um, and, and just focused on everybody else who was available. But like I say, the damage was done. Uh, you know, at that early, early age. So it, it'll, so exactly this will happen is that um, you'll have these experiences of 
attracting unavailable partners in various ways. Now, it can be a little challenging to work on it because there's probably no adult party that remembers wanting it. But what you, so the, the challenge is, is trying to remember wanting, to kind of open up to the underlying wanting. Um, I, I faced that when I was working on stuff with my mother because there was a certain transition point where I went from really liking being close to her to pushing her away. And I was at about, I was 12 years old at the time. Um, and then once I started pushing her away, we, you know, we had this dynamic that where she would keep seeking me out. And I kept pushing her away to the point where I became very rigid about pushing her away. Right. It's like, stop, <laughs> keep your distance. Blah, blah, blah. And when I went to therapy, uh, you know, my therapist was telling me, you know, he understood what had happened. He says, but before that, you really, really wanted to be close to her, right? You really wanted her to be close to you. And I said, yeah, I just can't remember ever feeling that way. I intellectually, I believe it. And I even kind of have these detached memories of us being close, but I can't connect to it. And uh, it took a lot of energy to, to open back up. Because there's a part of me that was really guarded, right? I didn't want to open back up. <laughs> so I, was, I, you know, mm -hmm. I pushed her away for good reasons, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it's the challenge is to try and go back to being really little and imagining wanting his love and attention. Mm -hmm. um, when you, one of the things that will help is the anger part, the anger empowerment part of each session. Mm -hmm. um, you may have a hard time with the vulnerable feelings of wanting and feeling unwanted by him and feeling unloved by him and all this stuff. But then when you get to the that middle piece where you stand up for yourself, um, just just imagine how you know what a father's supposed to be like. It's like, hey, wait a minute, a father is supposed to be loving and attentive you know, and want to be with their child and invite, you know, their daughter to sit in his lap and be affectionate and all this stuff. And it's like, hey, you never do any of that stuff. And that's not okay. <laughs> and if you can get into the anger of it, lots of times the anger will open us up to the feelings that we were having a really hard time getting in touch with. Okay. Um, so the anger part can be super helpful. I have a lot of clients when we're doing a session one-on-one, where they'll, they'll think it's, you know, I'll identify a memory with them that seems very key. And because a lot of us block out our feelings a lot. And so they'll get in touch with their feelings, but they'll be, they'll seem like they're very mild. And so I'll, you know, I'll say, all right, well, I'll, I'll, you know, well, I'll work with what you give me here. So we'll be tapping on all these mild feelings. And then finally, we'll move on to the next part, which is the anger work. And, and they're telling me that everything's like a three or four, you know, out of 10. And then we'll get to the anger work. And they'll start doing the anger thing. And as they sort of break through into expressing the anger, all of a sudden they'll burst out crying because now they're in touch with their feelings, <laughs> right? Like, okay, there they are. So it's, it's kind of like there's a part of this. It was too painful and we just want to block it all out. We don't want to go there. We don't want to feel the feelings. But it's, if you get into any one feeling in a big way, including anger, it tends to open us to all of our feelings. And mm -hmm. then... And then the crying will happen. The crying just means that the person's in touch with how sad and hurt they were that they didn't get the love and attention they needed. And so it's a good crying, right? So it's like, okay, there's, there's the feelings, right? So now if we go back and tap on them, okay, cool. So, so that's what I would recommend for this case because it, it is a challenging one. I, I totally acknowledge that. But it's the key to you changing your patterns. So it's super important.
Uh, sorry, so is it only unavailable parent? So it's not three separate negative traits, it's just unavailable parent, is it? I would say it's primarily unavailable parent, unless you can think of experiences where you felt abandoned. That's another option. Okay. Because if you expect abandonment, we will we will unintentionally act in ways that will bring it about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So yeah, look for any any place in your growing up, any situation where you felt abandoned by your parents or is there other caregivers there that were you were close to, like a grandparent or somebody. It could be from that person too. It's it's not always just our parents. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. I'm glad we could talk about it directly. Okay, Thank so you. you're very welcome. So I'm going to go ahead and mute you and answer my last question uh, uh, as far as email questions goes. So this is another woman, and she writes, I never really enjoyed online dating, although I definitely gave it a solid try over the years. I'm, <clears throat> I'm not currently active on any sites, although my profile is still visible on Catholic Match and Hinge. But I shut down most of the other apps. I would really prefer to meet my man in an, in an organic way, but I have this belief that I'm, not, that I'm, quote, not doing enough to find love. I'm doing a ton of inner work, which I feel is the biggest mover of the needle, but I still have this nagging fear that I may need to take more action. So that's really interesting. Um, I also am not a super big fan of dating sites, uh, though it's hard to totally ignore them because they are a resource you know, to meet people that you wouldn't otherwise meet. But I prefer the organic way. I met my, wharf, my wife <laughs> my wharf, my wife, organically, um, dancing, as, as it turns out, salsa dancing. Uh, but you know, there's the whole thing of the law of attraction. So the law of attraction works in the following way. And I have a cool video on it. I call it the right way to use the law of attraction to find your soulmate or attract your soulmate. And that is... Um, we put out to the universe what we're wanting from a really positive emotional place and we send it, send it, send it until it feels like it's been well sent out to the universe. And then we wait, but we don't wait passively, right? I mean, when I say wait, we, you know, go on living our lives, but we want to be sensitive to a subtle urge to do something, to do something, right? This is the active part. The subtle urge may be to go shopping on a day, you know, grocery shop on a day you would not normally go, or to attend an event of some sort. Like, huh, you, know, you see an event in the paper, and all of a sudden you just feel this nudge to go to that event, right? It might be kind of an event you might normally be interested in. It might be an event you would, you would not normally be interested in. Uh, one of my clients met her soulmate. Uh, going bowling. There was a, 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 a singles bowling event and she didn't like bowling. <laughs> but she felt this urge to, to attend. And it turns out that her soulmate was the same thing. I mean, he was in the same singles group, but he felt this urge to attend this bowling event. And he, again, he also didn't really like bowling. So they both felt this urge to attend and they honored that urge. That's the key to, to law of attraction is that we get these urges, these nudges from the universe, because the universe is trying to facilitate us getting together, right? You can't just send it out to the universe and then stay in your in your house all the time. You're not, you're not going to meet anybody that way. So the universe is trying to give you these little nudges to do things. And so they both honored their nudge. They met at the bowling alley, and uh, and they connected there. 
and they they're now married very happily in fact you can see them on the on my website is one of the testimonials and she even mentions it in there so it's a really really cool story of following the law of attraction following an urge to do something that even things you you normally wouldn't be interested in doing you just feel this inexplicable urge to do it anyway like huh uh, i met my my last girlfriend prior to my wife that way actually i saw this email to attend a dance now i love dancing i'm a partner dancer but this was an event for people who are not dancers and there's no greater torture <laughs> to a serious dancer and to attend a to attend a dance of non-dancers <laughs> i was like ah and so i was immediately turned off but i felt this urge to go anyway and i learned to honor these things so i went there and she stood out like a beacon and, and we got together and uh she didn't end up being my final partner, but we, you know, a lot of growth and stuff uh, with that relationship. And then the very next relationship was my final partner. So when you say you have this, you you feel like you have this, you have a nagging fear, you may need to take more action. Try and shift it, that from a fear to a recognition that you need to you be you need to be sensitive to these urges to do things, um, and just go with it. And uh, it's hard to totally be clear. Sometimes there'll be an urge from the universe. Sometimes we'll just we'll, we'll be making it up. But the safest thing to do is just honor all of them. You feel an urge to do something, particularly something you, you wouldn't normally do. But even if it's something you wouldn't normally do, right? If you feel an urge to do it, then go do it. Um, I do think that meeting organically is the ideal way to do that. And th and the easiest way to meet somebody organically is by partaking in activities that you love doing but in a group context so for me it was partner dancing right as a group activity and it's, it's a particularly conducive one for meeting people but it can be any activity um, that you just really enjoy doing where you're doing it with a group of people who also enjoy doing it and that you you automatically share something in common there right you both really enjoy that same activity so it's a nice point of connection and it's a good way to facilitate meeting, meeting your ultimate partner so hopefully that answer was helpful. And uh, anybody else, you know, wants to raise their hand, ask a question, we can be happy to answer more. We got a bit more time left in this hour. Okay, actually, I need to um, take a quick break, and I will be right back uh, just in a minute. But I see a hand raised, and I will definitely come back and, and answer your question. Hold on.
Okay, I'm back. So um, what's your question? Hi, thank you for the second opportunity. Sorry, um, sorry. sorry. wait, wait, start again. I, <laughs> I forgot to put my headset on. Uh, so go ahead. Uh, back thank you beginning. for the second opportunity. Yes, sure. I'm sorry, do you hear me? Yes, now I hear you just fine. Okay. Okay, thank you for the second opportunity. Um, I listened to the previous caller as something uh, came up uh, with me. My father was, uh, my father dis didn't support uh, the family uh, because he he wasn't in love with my mother, but but he also couldn't dive, uh, divorce, divorce her. And uh, no, wait, that made us- what? Uh, what was the last thing you just said? He, he, couldn't, he couldn't get the divorce. The what? He couldn't get the divorce. He couldn't get. He couldn't get separated from her legally. Oh, a divorce. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I see. Okay. Um, sorry. Oh, okay. This wasn't clear. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, my pronunciation is that bad. <laughs> okay. um, but it made me. Um, it. Um, so when I was young, it. Uh, it forced us, the the daughters in the house, to. Um, go outside and work for our money for uh to uh to help my mother out uh -huh. and uh, ever since i'm um i'm eight years old i've been working and studying and taking care of myself and uh i just uh made the connection that um the men who come up to me and who uh, show interest in me are always men who uh want to be um supported they don't make their yeah. own money or they or they make money or they uh want uh someone who take care of them and treat them and it just uh, struck me that it has something to do with how i was raised how i was um how my uh, my parental home was and i think how can i tap on this to uh yeah to get rid of those books yeah you you mapped it out very well that's, that's exactly the source so the way you do this is you focus in on your father's lack of support right he didn't support the family financially and yeah. <clears throat> uh and and he, and he was supposed to, right? That was part. That was one of his roles in the family. Was he was supposed to be providing financial support to the family? Yeah, and he, he and he and so he didn't. So no. you would just use that as the the memory. So it's not a specific memory per se. It's just it was just an ongoing situation that he wasn't doing it. So all I have to do is pick an age. I would suggest like five years old. I use anytime I'm doing one of these general things, I usually pick five because it's young. It's young enough to be within our formative years, but old enough that we remember actually being five. And just uh, and just kind of be aware that he's not doing that, right? He's not supporting the family so that, you know, mom has to work and, and your older siblings have to work. Um, or, we, or you can pick eight when you had to work. But the thing you're mostly focusing on is his lack of financial support. And so you want to do the normal stuff then, which is, you know, you feel all the feelings of him not providing that. You know, it can feel like it can make you feel unsupported, not cared about, not loved. Um, you can feel betrayed because he's not fulfilling his, you know, what he's supposed to be contributing. And you do all that for a while. And then you get to the, you know, the empowerment piece where you get angry at him for not doing it. It's like, you know, you don't, uh, 
um, you know, contribute in a big way to the finances of this family. And that's not okay, right? So you want to really confront him on him not contributing financially. Um, and really long and loud and hard and stuff until you really feel in your body how not okay it was. And then, you know, in this case, it's not a matter of our adult self giving to our young self because that's kind of the problem. So in this case, you would want to either imagine that he somehow got healed and now he is contributing to the, to the family, or you're going to imagine an ideal father, be him being replaced by an ideal father who is now taking care of the family financially. Um, you're okay. never going to lose the, yeah, so you're never going to, you know, I'm not worried about, you know, this being kind of sexist or traditional because you're, you already know how to work and support yourself, but you want an equal partner who can yeah. contribute as well. So by really getting to how not okay it was that he did not contribute to your family and, you know, imagining either him or an ideal father than doing it, that's going to help really shift the pattern in a big way. And you might want to do it a few times, right? Not, let me take more than one session on it. I want to do it like three times or something. Um, but particularly the anger empowerment part is where the shift is going to really happen in a big way. Okay. So I really have to let that out. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will do that because I've noticed that the people I attract are not the people I want to attract. So, and this is a major part of it because I've always been, uh, so I had to be, uh, become independent. And it yeah. seems that I attract by being becoming independent. I attract the wrong kind of men. Yes, and that came. That comes very clearly and directly from your, what, what your father did. So the good news is that this it's really easy to identify where this pattern came from, and it's quite straightforward to heal this pattern. Okay, going to work on that. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're very welcome. All right, so let's see. We have another. Hi, um, I have this question. I often feel like as one down, uh, just like the first quarter described. Um, and how do I heal that? Hello, can you hear me? Wow, somehow I got muted. Can you hear me now? Uh, yeah, I can hear you now. That's so weird. I didn't mute myself. Anyway, so let me answer your question. <laughs> I had such a good answer going, but nobody could hear me, I guess. So what I was going to say is um, this feeling one down thing is, is a pretty universal challenge that we face when we're searching for a soulmate uh, for two reasons. One is that we tend to have a pretty pretty big goal of it as to who we're looking for, right? We write down everything we're looking for in a partner in our partner vision. It's like, okay, this is who I'm looking for. But then when we imagine meeting that person, that person is so amazing. Then we feel, then we tend to feel inferior. It's like, well, you know, somebody like that <laughs> who has everything I'm looking for, you know, what, what would they be, you know, why would they be interested in me? Right. And uh, that's one of the biggest challenges. So part of it is just from that alone. We're kind of envisioning this amazing person, 
and that we don't feel good enough for this amazing person that we're envisioning. That's one thing, and, and that was very universal. But there's also, it's universal in another way too. And that is, we all tend to, you know, we all have wounds from childhood with our parents. And those wounds, one of the effects of those wounds is they tend to make us feel bad about ourselves, right? Every session I do with somebody, you know, when I work one-on-one -on -one with people, is, you know, they'll, we'll pick a memory to work on. Um, they'll tell me what happened in the memory, and then we'll work with the inner child, and they'll say, you know, ask your inner child what she or he's feeling, and let me know, and I'll write them all down. And then I'll say, now, ask your inner child what she or he is believing about her or himself, right? And, and these are going to be negative beliefs, typically. And the most common ones are, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, and there's something wrong with me. Well, those are very negative feelings about ourselves. And so we tend to, and that comes up in every wounding experience is that we, it makes us feel bad about who we are because all little kids take everything personally. Any painful thing that happens to them, well, anything good thing or, or bad thing that happens to them, they feel like it's because of themselves, right? So if my parent <clears throat> is <clears throat> excuse me, yelling and screaming at me, um, it never occurs to a little kid that, oh, there's a problem with my parent. They, a child will always conclude that, oh, it's because of me. There's something wrong with me. Um, you know, I must deserve to be treated this way. So um, one of the, like I say, one of the universal things that we all struggle with <clears throat> is dealing with all these negative feelings about ourselves. <coughs> Sorry, you guys. I have some congestion in my throat here. Um, and you know, so we, we all sort of develop these negative feelings and beliefs about ourselves. So I always track those with my clients. And they're so common, I'll even just, I'll just list them all. So I'll say, okay, on a scale of zero to 10, how true does this feel? I'm not good enough. I'm, there's something wrong with me. I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. And typically, they're all high numbers in the beginning. And then as we do our healing sessions, it's very important, by the way, when you do your own healing sessions, that you get in touch with these negative beliefs uh, because you want to tap on them as well. And then tapping on them is going to help start helping re release them. And then the third part of each session where our inner child gets what she or he is needing um, also really helps with that. So tapping to release this feeling that there's something wrong with me or I'm not good enough. And then this loving energy from either our adult selves or an ideal parent um, really helps to uh, address that as well, to help us feel better about ourselves. So, you know, we, we feel bad of ourselves in those situations where we're not being loved and we're treated badly instead. And we feel good about ourselves when we feel ourselves being loved, right? So it's really a simple equation like that. So you want to be, when you're giving to your young self, either you or an ideal parent, you want to be really appreciative of the young, young self. And that will help with the, help address these negative self-beliefs. I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I'm less than, I'm one down. Those are all in the same category. Does that make sense? Yes, thank you. But okay. uh, it looks like it's a huge work to be done, like to address it, like there are a lot of well, there's another way. 
there's actually another thing to do to uh, to boost your self-love directly i just realized i was i was uh, forgetting this other option so we get it every time we do a healing that will incrementally boost our, our you know feeling better about ourselves right but mm -hmm. um i also have that other product called self-love to soulmate which has processes to directly boost your self-love you know best direct, directly boost feeling good about yourself. Mm -hmm. And so that's a more a direct thing to do. You know, so if you want to, if you're really feeling one down or less than, um, using that, in addition to the healing sessions, or, you know, healing painful memories, mm -hmm. if you use the self-love to soulmate uh, processes, that will mm -hmm. directly help build you up. So that could be really good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have that program and I'll get actually working through it. So you are working. You have been like working through that. that? I yeah, I'm working. I mean, some like that I felt it recently, but normally when I interact with people that I find interesting, even if it's not like romantic interest for me, I feel as one down. So, yeah. um, hopefully, when I go through the program, that won't happen that much. Yeah. In some ways, the single most important thing we can address in all this work, aside from breaking free from, I mean, breaking free from the negative attraction pattern, that's that's the single biggest important thing to do. But aside from that, the second most important thing to do is to address the, exactly this. Not feeling good enough, feeling one down, not feeling worthy, whatever way, everybody has their own little differences around how they word it, but they all really amount to the same thing. You know, not feeling good enough, mm -hmm. feeling less than, feeling not, you know, not worthy. You know, these are all about not feeling good enough about ourselves in relation to this other person. And that's the single biggest blocker to to really getting what we want. So that's you know mm -hmm. the the other most important thing to focus on. So you, you really want to put a lot of energy into that one. So that's okay. Thank you so important. much. Yeah, you're very welcome. Um, so I have time for one quick question, and then and then we have to end this uh, month's call. Anybody? Oh, I forgot to mute you. All right, so anybody want to raise their hand real quick? Final question. Anybody, anybody? So, going once, going twice, going three times. All right, well, it looks like we answered everybody's questions, which this was a great call. Um, I loved how much opportunity I had to talk to you guys directly on, you know, during the call. And uh, so I look forward to our next live uh, Finding Love Q&A call. All right, so keep tapping everybody, clear all your blocks, you will get to what you long for, which is an amazing, wonderful partner for you. Take care, everybody.